0: Coming up this week, Nick and Tim link up to talk T20 World Cup news and pathway events for future ICC global tournaments. But first, a shout-out to our Emerging Cricket patrons. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout-out to Marco, our latest patron. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next... Tim and Nick discuss everything in the Emerging Game.
1: Welcome listeners to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Spot FM in Perth. I'm Nick Skinner filling in again for Daniel Beswick who's buried with his work in the World Cup. But I am joined by our other regular host, Tim Cutler. Tim, I feel like you're very busy with uh, Vanuatu work. Tell us what's going on in the island paradise you now call home. I see you started wearing the floral shirts.
2: (laughs) Again, the beauties of a audio-only podcast, (laughs) but yes. um, I bought this shirt before I moved here, actually. But um, anyway, here at the moment, apart from Melbourne Cup, which was a good day.
1: they celebrate that in Vanuatu?
2: Wherever there are Australians, people will celebrate the Melbourne Cup. It was big in in Hong Kong with various functions, including going on at the races at Happy Valley. I bet Cambo was all over that. Yeah, any excuse for him to get the racetrack. (laughs) But uh, no, with cricket finishing here and with no tournaments or international cricket for men or women organised until the middle of next year, it's a lot of planning time. So um, spreadsheets and budgets are the order of the day, which (laughs) might sound... Not uh, exciting easy. to some people, but to those that want to get a nice clear plan ready for next year, it's it's good. But uh, there's never a dull moment. And then, meanwhile, I'm still trying to work out what I've actually done to my finger. A week and a half after knocking it, I'm pretty sure I must have must have chipped a bone or something. So that's that's fun too. That's uh, you know, you're an office man. You know, when you're typing away, it's like, oh, that hurts when I'm typing. I'm, <laughs> I must have injured myself. But um oh, you and in, you and Erasmus. Oh, wow. Yes, I know. Jeez, it's a good reference, what we're going to talk about later. But I think uh, my finger's in better condition than his at the moment. We had a bit of a scare here a week and a half ago with uh, two more cases of COVID uh, in quarantine of returned travellers. And there was whispers that had gotten out into the community and there was going to be a lockdown. But luckily, it seems like those two have remained, well, it's only at two and they're in isolation. Uh, so that brings a sum total of five for cases during the entire pandemic, which is wow. obviously, that's, that's great. Amazing. Yeah, no, it, it is. But the board is shut. You know, so for a country that relies so heavily on on tourism for employment and also money coming into the the economy, it's been really tough. And it's not gone the way of perhaps a barley where you see people are now you know farming seaweed and whatnot again as, as an alternative to tourist life. I think a lot of people are still looking for work, um, or have gone back to their villages and are just just sort of subsistence farming as perhaps they were beforehand, or their families are. So you know, it's all well and good for us to keep the borders shut, but the longer you keep the borders shut, then there's a lot of hotels and other tourist-linked businesses that have either gone by the wayside or, you know, hotel sense if they're not in- involved in-, in quarantine. Probably also rotting as well, because if you're not looking after things in Vanuatu with the humidity here, things just literally rot, rot away with uh, with mould and-, and whatnot. So he's hoping... <laughs> That the vaccination rates get up nice and high you know looking at Fiji considering reopening well you, you can buy tickets now to Fiji from Australia already can't you and it's amazing to think where what they were a couple of months ago with the numbers of numbers of sick so I think um, we're only up at about 50% vaccination on Afate which is the island that has Port Vila on it so so trying to plan things around cricket tourism and all kinds of tours um, for next year is is difficult because you know you'd, how long's a piece of string yeah yeah, the most important thing is my fortieth birthday in March. You know, people will be able to fly in for that. Um, need to get that sorted. But yeah, so it makes it makes it hard. And you know, we've seen that with the ICC events being postponed and cancelled in, in in this region. Just how tough it is to get all the countries that come from such different places as well. When you look for everything from Indonesia, and the Philippines, Japan to Samoa, Fiji, Vanuatu. You know, we've all got our own challenges. So, but what that does mean when there's there's not a lot of throughput here is it gives a bit of quietness and I think time for those of us are doing planning and whatnot to sort of sit back and get that work done and also a great opportunity for people like me that might otherwise be flying to other countries or back to Australia or whatever is to get around and and see the other islands so it's a very long-winded answer to your question about what's happening but how about you you're out of lockdown how does that feel
1: yeah back at work um feels a bit disappointing at the moment because it means I can't watch all this cricket that's on (laughs) and I have to get up at a sensible time but uh you know yeah but it's good, good to be busy, good to be uh not just uh you know moping around the house, so that's that's nice um yeah i'm I'm interested in you talked about how all your players basically have nothing to do for the next six months to a year, maybe even well, how does that work with the guys who are contracted and girls
2: It's a good question, I feel like I'm in a job interview um. <laughs> Well, no, that, that's a hard one. And like Jeremy Bray has been great being here, and he had really a program working towards these tours happening um, happening, yeah. and it really been. I think the boys and girls. Well, I think the, when I say the boys, like literally the men's team, sort of training harder than they ever had before, coming up to a, a tournament. And then once we integrated the four professional women as well, I think it was even it was, it was great for them as well to sort of be training at a new level. But once we knew that the tournament wasn't happening, there's no point training in that that level of intensity. And as we've come to the end of our our season now, you know it would have been a sort of a maintenance period for them anyway you know gym skills and focusing on different things but their next tournament the men's team is going to be july i think where the challenge league should be in canada so you know a normal world you say great you know this is a chance to get the players overseas for placements in australia and new zealand you think of anyone that plays a sort of september to april season but of course, you, know, you can't go anywhere because not only you know up until this week or next week. Well, you, I guess you still can't go to Australia unless you're a citizen or resident or a seasonal worker called the RSE scheme say fruit picking and likewise with New Zealand although I think that's going to change with with New Zealand soon so you know it makes it really hard where the only opportunities are potentially and you look at places like South Africa or or other countries that don't have as stringent entry restrictions then do you want to be sending young cricketers from Vanuatu over to South Africa for their first for some of these guys first time overseas and definitely first time travelling by themselves Mm -hmm. so there's there's that struggle as well and uh, even talking about fruit picking as well it's a huge opportunity for for the people of Vanuatu to go and earn a lot of money in Australia as compared to what they could here and then be able to sort of set themselves up for life. And a number of players have done that in the past. You know, Patrick matar Patrick has done that. Mm. Ronald Tari's just come back and a, and a number of others. So it's trying to be, it's not so much receptive or, or accepting. You know, this is a huge opportunity and more money than they could ever make playing cricket. So it's a matter of being practical and trying to organize around that. And I think long-term, it'd be great to establish relationships with some of the farms that perhaps are cricket fans or cricket supporters and get them into a situation where they can be picking fruit be part of that industry but also be playing cricket with some at a decent level but again these guys are and work really really hard six days a week and these farmers are also paying for that labor so it's a it's a tricky balance so no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think we've been really trying to look into the playing opportunities and with these borders opening up, it might mean that things like that come up. But then our season would be starting in sort of February, March anyway. And then by the time we start playing, it'll be almost be the middle of the year anyway. So it's a matter of tuning the competitions to, towards those events. If we say it's the 50 overs in, in July, then you know, either looking at playing longer format cricket leading up to that or getting them overseas. But the, the good thing is... As well, all these guys are uh, talented and, and fit. So at the moment, we've got them doing a lot of work around the grounds and getting stuff done that we you know wanted to during the year, but we just didn't have the, the resources and... Get these guys are a shovel or a jackhammer as, as they were on uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were doing some demolishing. They're, they're great, so I think they've just finished a sort of a set of concrete seats sort of around one of the trees with some other concrete benches. So, this downtime, it's a good change for them, but it also gets stuff done for us too. So, it's been i, I thought almost akin to a chain gang, it must look <laughs> like all these guys and, and girls in you know Vanuatu shirts sort of just moving from one job to another, um, doing, doing all this uh work because No, no, they're not prisoners, they're, they're, they're just cricketers.
1: Are you are you the warden Tim? Or is that your job here?
2: <laughs> no, I, I no no. I like having flashbacks to the Shawshank Redemption and no nothing like that.
1: <laughs> Patrick's gonna dig a tunnel out of out of the VC. <laughs> yeah, so,
2: you know, they just Patrick Matai at the end of it. You know, climbed through a riv- uh, a river of shit and came out cleaner the other side. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 frustrating for for us like as, as administrators sort of looking at the the opportunities you want to present young cricketers like this but you know it's just one of many things that's so hard in the world at the moment and yeah you can look at europe and places like that where people are able to move freely and play it's like well so be it but that's just the way it is and you can only play what's in front of you and one of our problems as well is to get back in the country is still a mandatory two-week hotel quarantine and that's you know people think or oh, vanuatu you know it must be cheap it's like no no it's still you know aussie five-star prices you're still going to be up for sort of three, three and a half thousand Australian dollars all told when it comes to the end of that and making any decisions like that where you're sending players on placements and therefore, you know, there's a responsibility for certain costs. You know, you can't be lining people up for that if that's going to be, have to be paid for everyone. So no, it's a, it's a tough time. But it's, I guess, like I said, there's also opportunities there for them to be doing other tasks, but there's also learning and development chances too. And I think, you know, you only, only look as far as the likes of Namibia that did all their training and development programs during during lockdowns and winning the re- regional award for that work that we can be inspired by that as well. And there's lots of, you know, because of the differing levels of education in Vanuatu as well, there's a great opportunity there just to be working with the players on some life skills and, and whatnot to help them, well, through now and, and later because cricket's ephemeral isn't it they're not going to be there forever um, especially as an an athlete so it's it's also about us having them prepared for for life after cricket and luckily we have a number of jobs with development and marketing and and who knows what could happen there from cricketing point of view to to stay in it but also for a time when they, they might depart cricket those basic skills you know there's so many opportunities for entrepreneurial people here to be doing work locally because there's just a skill shortage just because there's nobody coming into the country and there's still a lot of work that needs doing so yeah I think that's that's on us as as a sport really to make sure that we're not just using them for their cricket skills and then and then oh sorry thanks a lot all the best we're actually preparing them for life after cricket as well and that's why it's a hard thing here is not looking at the world through the prism of what we've been so fortunate to, to have, have grown up in a place like Australia and the education system that we have there and and, and families being able to afford it and whatnot but that's it's not like that everywhere it's knowing that the good that you can actually impart on these people's lives as well as as they interact with cricket as they have a relationship with cricket during their life the sort of the good that you can give back to them and i think it goes further than just our social impact programs it's also for everyone that comes through as, as employees as well because they're not going to be there forever but you want to make sure they leave better off than when they first got there
1: well i feel like we've uh, sort of drifted into a, a mini vanuatu pod but uh, no this is this is really interesting but Going to our main topic, the T20 Men's World Cup and looking at the associates there, we've seen Scotland and Namibia play uh, two and three matches respectively with Scotland taking on New Zealand tonight as we record. Scotland started first with a big loss to Afghanistan, who posted 419 and then bowled the Scots out for 60. Majib took a 5 for They were pretty pretty comprehensively defeated there. Then their second match was Namibia's first game, and Namibia claimed that one with a a pretty clinical performance. Scotland losing three wickets in the first over and limping to 8 for 109. And then JJ Smith helped chase it down with an over to spare. Namibia's second game against Afghanistan, less successful. The Afghans put up 5 for 160, and then Namibia were blown away, really, by Afghanistan's seam attack, strangely enough, nice. uh, with Hamid Hassan winding back the clock, taking three for nine, restricted them to nine for 98.
2: Out of the DeLorean.
1: Yeah, exactly. Bowling like it was 2009 again. And then, yeah, they, they put in a patchy performance against Pakistan. They bowled well early, but Babur Azam and Muhammad Rizwan got away, posting two for 190. And then they just kept losing wickets in the chase. They only managed five for 144. So... Yeah, at the at the halfway stage for the associates in the World Cup, where do we see them?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think Scotland. You could have described them as clinical in the the group stages, and it was just interesting to see that the way that we talk about Callum McLeod. I know he's just as a single person in Scotland, but having you know learnt the secret sauce to play against the mystery spinners, and especially Rashid with the, the sweeping, but um, definitely went the other way, and. Yeah, it was like priming the, the mousetrap, wasn't it? You know, associate team gets bowled out for 60 and then it, it out comes everyone on their high horse about how too many teams in the tournament. But luckily, I guess India's doing it badly at the same time. But, but you know, <laughs> on the flip side of clinicals from Scotland, I think you did say that's how Namibia were when they beat Scotland. That was really impressive again. But, geez, I think at the halfway point, it, it just shows the, the margin of error in, at this level that um, I don't know how many full tosses were bowled in the last couple of overs by Visay and, and Smith against Pakistan and every one of them went the distance and it just shows that you just can't err and likewise batting against some of these these quicker bowlers and the better spinners that but looking at that as well, geez Namibia's been unlucky, haven't they? Very <laughs> like they should have had wickets early on in both those games and that's the thing about T twenty, you know, very rarely does momentum swing twice. You know, we saw that in the first over against Scotland. Three wickets, like, if you come back from that, it's it's a miracle. And similar in Pakistan game, if Smith gets a LBW against Pakistan that's overturned because the ball was 51% outside leg stump, you never know that the, the role they can kind of get on there but look it's just too bad that we're seeing these matchups in a world cup and it's the first time that they've played against this level of teams you know this shouldn't be the first time or the apprenticeship or they they should have had a chance to play these teams before so you know it's it's hard to see them go against these these great teams get beaten and beaten heavily but it's great that they're playing them but they they've got to play them more to get better. But I've been, again, still impressed with Visay. You know, I know I've, I've still got I, I told you so t-shirt on very firmly. You just see the class that he brings to that middle order and the bowling, that the way that he's able to change the pace and back his little cutting slower balls, which are, are so dangerous as we see this level of the game with, with batters basically just sort of lining up, waiting to hit about being able to change your pace properly and we're seeing that from the sides against Namibia and Scotland but I think you know Scotland going up against New Zealand tonight I think they really want to turn around this start because I'm, I'm sure they they had each other pegged when Namibia and Scotland to uh to get that win and 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 good on Namibia for that but look we've seen Scotland do in the past in big games as in you know the game the win against England chasing a big score and I know this is a different format we know we've got that they've got the talent especially down the batting order it's just sometimes that the pace bowlers are just feeling a bit samey as well and feeling like they're, they're, they're getting lined up. How are you seeing it?
1: Yeah, that point about margin of error that you, you mentioned, I think you know you, you look at Namibia and even Scotland to an extent, they, they haven't looked completely out of their depth, whereas, um, I, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, You know, when I was looking at the clips, the, the 2003 World Cup, to do that retrospective podcast, the Namibian batters, they, they just were completely out of their depth mm. and, and they just looked inept against the high-quality bowling. But here, they're able to hit good shots. They're able to time the ball well. It's just they're making slightly more mistakes. And, you know, at this level, a couple of mistakes here and there, that's the game. And you, you kind of look at where they play normally, you know, Cricket World Cup League 2 or, you know, the T20 World Cup qualifiers. The the bowling at that level, there's just more boundary balls on offer so the, the batters aren't under so much pressure because they can hit the, the bad balls which are more frequent and then when they're bowling, the opposing batters don't punish the bad deliveries as frequently and they get out to the good ones more and so just those, you know, a couple of things here and there and it makes a huge difference. You look at, as you said, that LBW with JJ Smith playing at associate level, they typically don't have reviews so that's just gone or... You know, a couple of those early deliveries in that first spell from Trumperman who was he was bowling really well and, you know, an associate batter against some of those deliveries probably would have nicked it or, you know, gone obi-dobi. Gone so, it's it's just that tiny little step up and it does make a difference. That point about Visa, yes, <laughs> every, every time I praise him, I'm going to have to <laughs> preface this by, by saying that I was skeptical, but uh, no, he's he's really impressed. And it's not the speed or, or, or anything like that. It's just the sheer technical skill that he has and, and he has so many different varieties and, and he's he's so experienced playing all that franchise cricket. He just knows which variety to use, you know, intuitively. And and just thinking look you know, looking at the Namibian bowling attack, they all kind of bowl a similar speed to Visa, you know, he, that's sort of mid one twenties, early one mm. uh, thirties. a bit quicker one thirties, touching one forty. Yeah, could Visa be, uh, you know, just training with them a lot in the nets? Because I'm looking at J.J. Smith especially. The way that Smith bowls is not too dissimilar from Visa in the, that he kind of hits the back of a length and he tries to jam up the batsman with being very accurate, but he, he just he looks a bit one-dimensional. And once they get after him, as we saw in that Pakistan game, really, he doesn't have the tricks that Visa does to you know try and mitigate the damage. Whereas, you know, Visa changing his angle, changing his lines, changing his... Pace, change, you know, cutting, slow ball, bouncers, all these, all these little things, and I think if JJ had those skills, he'd be a very difficult bowler, especially with that left arm angle. And you know, Freilink to an extent was doing a similar thing, and he was mixing it up quite well. Um, although, again, it's the margin of error. You know, he'd, every over he'd hit one or two that was too far outside uh, off stump, and and <laughs> they'd just punish him. So, yeah, I, I think. Namibia's bowlers are not quite there, but they look like they have the capacity to improve. And especially JJ Smith, <laughs> he's he's a very strong guy. So, I'm just thinking you could probably add sort of 5Ks to his speed and then he'd be up around the Trumperman region as well. And, and that also is a, another thing at this level. You know, the batters facing bowling around 125 to 130, that's just pretty easy to hit at at this level whereas if you're 130 to 135 then that's just making a bit more of a difference but again on that point of uh of, of pace we saw in the first few games the namibians you know took a little bit to adjust to the extreme pace of um of the sri lankan Bowlers, Mm. But then, you know, you, you see Bard walking down the track and flicking Ralph for a magnificent six at 145 clicks. Clearly, they've adjusted to the speed. So, your point about the fact that, you know, they're playing these teams for the first time in a World Cup, that's kind of not really fair because, you know, Pakistan and Australia play bilateral series all the time and and you know, then kind of they know what they're looking at and they know the players and whereas these guys all have to learn on the fly and they don't yeah you know, they don't have the experience and I think a lot of it is experience you know
2: yeah I think look it's we're in such a good place really because think about what Namibia did what well, it was last night you know you've already said that we're recording New Zealand um, Scotland tonight and look, they were not also runs, and not flogged by any stretch. You know, they got almost 150 and should have got a couple of wickets early. And that's completely different to the Namibia in 2003. And I don't want to use them as the example, but of so many teams, and you see how far they've come, they're playing against the tournament favourites, or at least the strongest team in this group. Yeah. And here we are talking about why they could have done better and got in a position to maybe be talking about victory. And this is great, and that's a testament to the work that's been done. You know, the player pool that they have is not... Not huge, and you know they've got two guys. If we sort of say trumpleman really hasn't been product of the system, but most of the guys down that batting order and the ball have learnt the game in Namibia, and yes, honed their skills in South Africa playing for Namibia. It's just too bad they're not able to do that anymore. And it's a real exciting to see, and it's a credit to the to the system. (laughs) Scotland against New Zealand. People are going to hear this, and it's already happened. But uh, how do you think they're going to go in in this third game? I think they might do a bit better because
1: the way that New Zealand plays is probably more kind of similar to the way Scotland plays in, in terms of being more seam-heavy. And, uh, you know, the Scottish batters do tend to like the ball coming onto the bat a bit more. So, I think that'll help them. I'm thinking back to the 2015 World Cup where Scotland posted a low total, but they had New Zealand, I think, seven wickets down chasing it. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're targeting this one, although New Zealand have been very strong recently. So, I don't know. Again, as as you said, talking about the bowling, that's kind of been the problem for Scotland is their their bowlers, none of them have been particularly bad, but the seamers are all just a bit sort of samey. They're you know, right arm I mean Sharif does well with his Yorkers, but yeah, I don't know, wheel, Davy, that just there's not enough variety there. Whereas yeah, you look at Namibia, I guess they have the three left armers, but they also have um Visa who who provides some variety. So yeah, I don't know. And what's been great? Mm. Maybe bring in, you know, could they bring in Tahir and have two left arm spinners and, and try and um, winkle out some wickets that way?
2: Yeah, that's. I, I was actually just thinking the same thing as we're talking about the pace bowlers and maybe wanting a bit more from them and how good Watt has been. I think, you know, he's proving himself to be a world class bowler. And I think, you know, we've been talking about the batters, especially, uh, about getting themselves onto the more people's minds because seeing them play the Erasmuses and Smits Muncy we know has played some franchise cricket before but another guy's down the order but what's been immense and I don't think you can get too proud there about about playing two left arm spinners because you've got two good left arm spinners it's that's potentially eight overs and, and there's not enough time out there for a batter to so, so get used to a, a bowler that means they can suddenly get to them it's just I guess a question for them with their batting depth but when you've got a keeper in cross uh, who bats like he does and, and also Barrington you know it sort of means you should be able to sometimes play an extra bowler because you've got such a, a strong batting lineup so I, I i'm sure it's on the selector's minds um but you also you never know what's going on in the background as well and how he's bowling in the nets but it'd be good to see him get a run considering how well he's done for scotland early on remember that first series mm. he came in in dundee wickets galore
1: took an absolute bagful, didn't he yeah.
2: yeah yeah albeit in, in very different conditions but these conditions are proving tough to play against good spinners so why not play them if you've got them in your squad yeah,
1: and I don't know. I mean the Seamers could definitely do better. they were just <laughs> they were just feeding Hazaratullah, weren't they? Just <laughs> too easy to hit through the line and, and even Namibia have Trumpleman who provides a bit more cutting edge at the top. And Afghanistan just feasted on on the Scottish bowlers. So if they're going to play the three right-arm seamers again, then yeah, they'll they'll want to be very disciplined with their lines. Just just quickly on Afghanistan, though, isn't it great to see Hamid Hassan? You know, this, this where did that spell come from? Bowling off half a run-up, still hitting the mid-140s. Is, I mean, just imagine if the guy had stayed in one piece for the last decade.
2: Yeah, amazing. And I know a few eyebrows were raised when he was selected in the squad. I think um, jobs for the board and nepotistic related terms came to came to mind but he definitely put all of that to bed i think it will swept those slights aside to seem him just um, a bit like boomerah when you think about it you know short and run up and it's all in the action it was similar and he was getting a bit of reverse there and you don't need to move it a long way when you're, you're bowling at that pace
1: yeah that one to get erasmus was
2: yeah and no, i was i was great like, I, I, like he was being commentating and the way he talked about it the game it was basically he was like bruce reed in the 12th man he'd had to be put together with you know with band-aids <laughs> like he had like he didn't have any knees and he's basically snapped and he was it was just held together with with bandages but no that was that was good to see Everything with Ashgar, Afghan, Ashgar, Stanek Zai is still all all a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, strange. It's, it's just seems all seems like there's, there's something going on here. Like the retiring mid tournament, and I don't want to put any slide against. You know, if he, if he's, got, he's now been removed from the tournament due to mental health issues, so if it was mental health issues, then you know we, we wish him speedy recovery. But the first time it was mentioned was when he's. Being subbed out of the tournament, you know, he was asked some pretty direct questions about why he was retiring, and if he did want to mention it, then if that's what it is, that's what it is. But it just, just seemed all very strange to be mid-tournament and then to be subbed out. I wonder if there's there's something happening behind the scenes. But yeah, it's definitely got out of the Delorean, didn't he, Hassan? To (laughs) <laughs> to, I, I, it was weird it was like watching when was the last time he played was it 2015 world Cup had he played since then
1: I played a game in the 2019 World Cup I think but he, he hobbled off injured after a few overs
2: that's right that's and he was in tears wasn't he coming off because he yeah that's right because he'd been he hadn't played for ages and he came back and he was picked and he came in bold and bowled and his body couldn't handle it so no good for him and you know this is a format that potentially could support him for a little bit longer you know malinga like and Chris Gale able to elongate their careers despite their bodies probably screaming otherwise if it was if it was a longer format so good on him and it's so weird it's like they used to be our friends they used to be associates i just want them to win so bad <laughs> they're too but cool then, for us now <laughs> yeah, they too too cool but again i they, they could just as likely pull out a couple of couple of wins they've got the talent throughout the order and um they're just an exciting cricket team to watch and they still have that afghan flair now we heard Shafiq Talk about it on the podcast, you know, a month ago or so, about the you know the talent needs to just turn up and play and leave and not understand. Like there's still a bit of that about them. Like there's that rawness in their game, and don't get me wrong, they are world-class cricketers. But that unpredictability about their game it makes them a, a tough opponent, and probably even tougher to coach. You see them bring in sort of all these coaches from outside. They must just be, oh, any of these situations where you come in and and you're teaching these guys that haven't necessarily been playing a long time and come up in sort of traditional systems that um do things all these different ways uh, really exciting to watch and i guess now that they've played against both associates we can put our afghanistan shirts back on
1: (laughs) well i'm very interested in um seeing the the internal dynamic of the disciplinarian of andy flower (laughs) and um how that goes with the Afghan players who, yeah, as you said in that interview with Shafiq, discipline hasn't historically been their their strongest suit. So, um, yeah, could could be an interesting documentary coming out, uh, you know, a lot of the test maybe. But, uh, yeah, I mean, lo- looking at them, Majib took all the wickets against Scotland. You know, it's they're, they're not the first team and probably not the last who are going to be bamboozled by him. But they, they have played Afghanistan a decent amount over the last few years and they've been pretty competitive so i don't know how much do we read into that are afghanistan just that much better or did scotland just have an off day
2: i think there's a bit of both really column a column b the afghanistan are playing at this level now more often but you know scotland are, aren't are a bold out for 60 team you know it's just had one, one of those days but like you said about majib he's done that to many other teams i mean spitting a web around uh, the west indies teams playing playing there and and he's so highly sought after in franchise T20 cricket only behind his countryman hmm. Rashid Khan, you know, who's generally accepted to be the best T20 bowler in the world, so there they are playing for Afghanistan and coming up against these teams that, well, that we're supporting, I say, against them, in Scotland and, and Namibia. But these, you know, they're elite cricketers here that we're talking about. Majib, you know, I still don't know how to describe him—a guy that bowls carron balls and wrongins. You know, I write that down and look at it. You know, imagine <laughs> a kid coming up and saying, "Oh, this is what these. This is what I bowl," or a sort of a an in swinging arm ball. Yeah, you know, that's delivered like a carom ball, but yeah. not that. You know, actually, kind of swings into the right hand. I just, I just love watching him bowl. He's just mesmerising. From the under-nineteens World Cup when he played, it was it New Zealand, wasn't it? That just from first watching him there, I said, like, this guy is just amazing. Yeah, love watching him play.
1: Yeah, well, and. I mean, it was good to see, um, you mentioned Rashid Khan there, talking to Jan um, Nicole Lofty Eaton, the fast leg spinner from Namibia, and uh, hopefully he imparted some wisdom. And, and yeah, Lofty Eaton looked good, mm. both in the match against Afghanistan and Pakistan. It's sort of, yeah, very strange. I mean, Namibia have had a few odd... Sort of team decisions, you know, picking Lofty Eaton in so many games, but only bowling him in in the match against Afghanistan and and Pakistan, and and he actually looked good. So, one up bowling earlier, and having having more options, and they've finally promoted him up the order in one game, and then dropped him back down, and and they've shuffled Green around, who's been in you know a bit of a rut, but you know they've just had a few sort of tinkering, you know, swapping between Williams as opener or number three, and then Van Lingen and Bard kind of shuffling as well i don't know if it's just trying to give everyone a go or, or if there's some strategy behind it but it doesn't look like a settled team at the top there their middle order is um you know world class as, as we know with, with erasmus visa and smith but mm. um the top three is just kind of yeah been tinkering a lot with that um just quickly on erasmus I, his finger looked bad didn't it I, I hope he's not doing himself any long-term damage because uh, according to the commentary, he was sort of due to be uh, operated on on the finger, and, and then he said no, and, and he played the tournament instead. So hopefully, it's not anything that can't be you know fixed up at at the end
2: of the Super Twelves. Oh yeah, speaking of you know plasters, and it's you know, unlike Vanuatu; they've got a lot of career coming up. Mm. You know, they've got they've now qualified for the next World Cup, and there's League Two, and you know, I guess lucky for them they won't have to worry about qualifying for the next world cup but you know fingers can go bad as as we know he just asked tim Payne if it's done a bad way but the fact he's still playing would say that it's it's a, at a certain level of bad and he's you know, he's still fielding in the ring and bowling too so he's obviously not too scared of it coming back at him and every time he bowls i think if you and bez of salivating or especially you with these quote unquote filthy off spinners but um <laughs> Yeah, that's, I hope they're, they're managing that well because, you know, usually the doctor's advice wins. You know, they say, no, we need to do this. You know, that, that's what gets decided. So, you know, if it was supposed to operate and he said no, that's um, slightly concerning. But, uh, yeah, hopefully so. He's just, uh, what have they got? Three matches left and three huge matches. So, hoping he gets through.
1: Yeah, hopefully, he. Uh, <laughs> as soon as he gets off the flight, he goes straight to the hospital and uh, gets that fixed. Uh, moving to the Asian region of the ICC, we've just seen the Western sub-regional run with Bahrain coming out on top. Uh, the tournament featured... Bahrain, Kuwait, Maldives, the hosts, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. It was a pretty exciting end to the tournament. The four-way tie going into the last two games between Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, poor old Maldives struggled. They they lost every game quite comprehensively. But uh, the the other four teams um, all beat each other. You know, Bahrain got off with a bang. They they thrashed pre-tournament favourites Qatar in the first game. In you know chased 130 odd inside 13 overs, but then. Bahrain got smashed completely by Kuwait, uh, who chased, again, 130 in 11.3 overs. So, yeah, a lot of uh, parody as we like to see. And uh, going into the last day, Bahrain was playing Saudi Arabia and Kuwait was playing Qatar. Bahrain... 1 by 18 runs against Saudi Arabia and and Qatar thrashed Kuwait got to the target inside 12 overs but they ended up being I think about 5 deliveries short based on on net run rate yeah so th- that was that was a quite an exciting one and, and just shows how much depth there is in this region because a few years ago sort of 2 or 3 years ago uh, Qatar would have been the you know overwhelming favorites whereas now They've failed to qualify and, and Bahrain's gone through and, and any of those four teams could easily have qualified.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, Qatar beat Nepal, if we remember, in the, the Asia qualifier in Singapore, uh, which meant that, that Singapore went through. Well, Singapore had already gone through because they, they were undefeated. But to see them lose that, that one game against Bahrain here, that's good. Kuwait were good in that tournament as well. I'm sort of just thinking of the times we, we've seen them play. Um, and I just love you calling it the Maldives because I know how much that will annoy Andrew Nixon with your pronunciation. <laughs> and it is the Maldives, isn't it? But um yeah, it's good. So I think you guys uh talked about a, a certain cricketer playing for his third country. <laughs> yes, Andrew Berenger. Not too many with three international caps. Yeah, and considering, you know, all too well I'm aware of the eligibility criteria because, you know, as Andrew Nixon has pointed out in the past and it was actually his his help that made sure we got it right but when we were trying to get Sam Hain to play for Hong Kong and the I say try to get him you know Sam was born in Hong Kong but because he played under 19s for Australia and has hopes of playing for England that was kiboshed. but um, he was he was keen to play otherwise but if this is the case and Andre has played for three countries I, I don't know how that's got through to the keeper because you know playing in an under 19 World Cup tick playing seniors for another another country tick and this is number three so look i'm not happy that qatar didn't win you know because again these are all good teams and up and coming but if they had won it would have been interesting to see if there's gonna be any any type of protest and i haven't seen anything come from the icc either about it because it's really only been sort of twitter chatter but i do wonder whether anything is happening in the the background and, and what has happened there but you mentioned the western region now, so that means Bahrain go through the, the global qualifier. And then, you know, as we've said in the past, the the eastern region that would have had Bhutan, China, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Myanmar, and Thailand playing, that was unfortunately cancelled. So that meant that Hong Kong went through. So they're, they're the two qualifiers from these Asian sub-regionals. And from that region, they, they join Nepal and the UAE, who are already in the, the global qualifiers due to their rankings. But, you know, not just because of where I may have worked before. I'm happy <laughs> that Hong Kong have gone through, even if it's on a cancellation, because remember, they got screwed over by by the ICC changing the time for when the, the rankings changed for when they were going to take the rankings for the teams that went through. Like, they, they'd been told, I think they'd basically been told they were going through the global qualifier, but that all then changed when they changed the the dates and said, "Oh, now it's now Singapore going through." So, look, some good teams in that that global qualifier. You see, the, you know, the likes of PNG and Ireland falling back from the World Cup, and having to to go through it again. You know, UAE, Nepal. Like this is going to be a couple of cracking tournaments, depending how they split them. And then even more so with the likes of Hong Kong, who we know had Oman on the ropes in that. That crossover eliminated qualifier in the World Cup qualifiers and four for twenty five before Jatinda Singh came out and batted really well so I'm, i don't I't don't get to, to, sound so excited about because I would look forward to it even more if it was one tournament mm. and like a global qualifier, but these two eighteen events will be great, and geez, that next world Cup it's going to be here before we know it.
1: Wow, well, yeah, it's very interesting to see these two groups of eight and and we'll be seeing kind of the next rung down from you know the previous global qualifier. Uh, had fourteen teams, and this this one has well sixteen across two groups. And of those sixteen, it's missing, you know, Scotland and Namibia, who who played in the previous qualifier. So, we'll we'll see kind of some teams that are a bit. You know, lower on the rankings and it'll be interesting to see uh, how they compete against the, the high-ranked teams like the Netherlands or PNG who had pretty bad tournaments at, at this T20 World Cup but would still be uh, among the favorites to qualify for the next one. Um, just looking at the Western Region tournament, um, yeah, Bahrain, this is the first time they've got through to a competition of this level. They've been sort of there or thereabouts for a little while but... Um, Yeah, they they had the top two batters in in the tournament in terms of runs and and some very healthy strike rates. But uh, Kuwait got close with the top two bowlers, including uh, Muhammad Islam, who used to play first-class cricket in Sri Lanka. So, yeah, a lot of good quality uh, players and and a lot of good quality teams coming through. So, this region's one to keep an eye on and, and Saudi Arabia went nowhere, you know, five years ago. And all of a sudden, they're challenging pretty closely to make it up to the next level. So, that's another one to keep an eye on. Um, Moving as we do, there's so many qualifiers going on. (laughs) Moving to the Americas where we've got two slots for the global qualifiers, uh, two out of the remaining three places with, of course, the Africa regional final coming up uh, later on in November. The Americas is a real jamboree. There's Argentina, Bahamas, Belize, Bermuda, Canada, Panama, and United States. Uh, Everyone's playing each other in a a huge round-robin group with 21 games. So, you would imagine the US and Canada are are still probably favorites, but the US and Canada squads, we'll we'll get into that, they're just kind of lacking something. They're a bit, uh, well, the Americans are a bit predictable and, and a bit, you know, safe you could say, and and Canada's got some notable exclusions, whereas Bermuda, you know, same team more or less that uh, knocked over the US twice, uh, admittedly at home, and, and this will be played in Antigua. But uh, yeah, it could be an interesting three-way tussle, and especially if one of the teams drops a you know an unexpected upset to maybe the Bahamas.
2: Yeah, like you mentioned, some interesting selections. I think um, Peter Delapena has been in amazing Twitter form of late, Um <laughs> yes. and, uh, yeah, and especially his. Oh, I think was it was a twelve hundred words or something on Facebook. Seventeen hundred. Seventeen hundred. Sorry, 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 Peter. <laughs> um, I know, I know you're listening. Um, about the selections, uh, how the contrast between the young players that have been selected in the women's side, that are young, developed with futures, and and how the same can't be said for the men's team, uh, not rewarding performers in minor league etc so what do you reckon about the the exclusions we'll start with the usa ones because you know i always like winding you up at back canada but we'll get we'll get to that what do you think about this america squad
1: well on the positive side they have ali khan back and that's going to be a huge difference you know the the guy can just produce yorkers on demand and and bowl at 140ks plus he, he's a high quality player but on the other hand, yeah, a lot of the same names, um, Xavier Marshall somehow uh, wormed his way back into the team. Uh, your favourite, yes. Yeah. <laughs> After being uh, very, very ordinary for them for a number of years. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. According to Nate, he had a very good uh, minor league season, so there's that. But yeah, looking at the names here... Pretty predictable stuff. Not really any uh, you know, breakthrough players from the um, from the minor league season, except maybe Trinton Carmichael, who we haven't seen before, and um, you know, he'll be interesting to watch. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean the squad—it's just playing it safe. But as as PDP said uh, <laughs> in so many eloquent ways in that uh, that long piece, you know, playing it safe isn't really safe. It's some strange. Kind of personnel changes. Manank Patel coming in as, as captain in, in Surab Netravalka. I don't know. I thought he was doing a pretty good job, but he's had it stripped for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, just just some
2: odd stuff going on there. sort of feels like perhaps it's the beginning of the end for him. Maybe he's been given a tap. But, look, I think them leading into that disaster, I think it's the only way of describing it, in Bermuda, you know, they would had a recent coaching change, and, again, they went with what would have been described as a a safe squad with the same names. And, yeah, I just hope for their sake that we don't see something similar. They've got different people at the helm, you know, this time they're, they're more settled, you know, J.A. and Kumar seems settled as, as coach, you know, Richard Doan's been over there for a decent amount of time now, is building those systems around the high performance programs as he's done so well in the past from, from the ICC, so look, I'd like to think that they're happy with this, this team that's been selected as to what's just happened and having this nationwide tournament with the minor league and not necessarily picking some of the, the talent that had had performed but yeah you said that name uh, Ali Khan I, I had feared that we, were, we weren't going to see him in in American colors again so that's that's good to see him back because him firing is a, a sight to the behold for the entire world so like you said it's expected that these two countries would go through but we know stranger things have happened but your do we say your home or your your birthplace your where your heart is <laughs> Nick um Canada <laughs> Canada no Kumar no Dutta no Bajiru Ratna. Right? No. What's going on? Why why have they not been selected?
1: Well, I mean, Cricket Canada very rarely um, provides much information about anything. So, <laughs> I don't know. But my suspicion is because they've been playing in the minor league and, you know, when was the last time Canada played? A couple of years ago in the global qualifiers, 2019. I think quite possibly they're counting down the days and they're looking to qualify as locals for the Major League and, and try and pick up a contract that way because if it's been three years since they've played for Canada, which by the start of the Major League it will have been, yeah, they're, they're able to play as locals and, and potentially get a, an income as professional cricketers that way, which, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that because you know we've talked about how the Major League is potentially quite good uh, obviously, for American cricket and and providing a pathway to um, you know professionalism over there, but if that means Canadians are going to start you know, going over and uh, you know basically uh, excluding themselves from Canadian selection, I hope that's not what's happening. But it sort of seems like it might be because you know those are three very key players. Uh, you know, Nitish Kumar's been their best batsman for a number of years. Uh, Shramanta Ratna uh, very good uh, at the top of the order and and um, as a wicketkeeper as well. And, of course, Nicol uh one of the better finger spinners going around, especially at associate level. So, missing those guys is going to leave a huge hole in the lineup. I'm also, I mean, looking at this team, missing those guys, they're still not giving really many opportunities to the the, the under-19 crops that have come through. There's been a number of players who've done quite well at under-19 level and, and various under-19s World Cups and and they're just not making their way through to the senior team and it's it's quite strange. And, you know, they're still bringing in you know, people Shreyas, Mova, Salman Nazar. Salman Nazar's played under-19s for Canada a long time ago but um, you know just a number of guys who have basically moved to Canada for other reasons and, and sort of qualify through residency rather than giving the younger guys... And this, this is, I guess, the same thing as as was going on in um in the U.S. you know they, they have these younger players coming through uh, produced you know through the system in Canada and and they're just not being given the opportunities whereas again in this group you would think you have the chance to do that especially with three senior guys missing from the regular Canadian lineup so yeah I don't know I mean yeah disappointing stuff following on the heels of of some disappointment on the women's side so yeah I don't know Canada just seems like they're in a bit of the doldrums at the moment uh, after missing out on world cup qualification
2: yeah and i look i'm sure we've heard people officially and unofficially say that they haven't started major league cricket to poach associate cricketers from other nations but if they've created something that is allowing this to happen then look, i know we've discussed it in well i have anyway in comparison to what county cricket was and pulling cricketers from around the world who then naturalized and you know generally it was from the former British colonies or colonies, you know, people coming from the West Indies, Australia, etc., and then settling in, in the UK because it was a profession and they were able to support their families. But, you know, this is a team that's in, that, that formed, you know, as part of the, the, the 10 associates, uh, so demanding, as high-performance nations demanding more influence and say over what happens with associate funding. But what does that say about the, the state of the game there, or I guess globally, if a top 10 associate can't have players paid enough for them uh, not be looking to to go elsewhere uh, and play um, domestic cricket in another associate. We know how much money's been invested in, in Major League, etc. But you'd, you'd want all this to be compatible with representing your country. So, yeah, it's very, you know, maybe there's another explanation. Maybe Cricket Canada will say something, but... <laughs> it's, um Definitely something to keep an eye on because uh, I know there's different freedoms for people from Canada to be working in America easily, but um, it, it is concerning. And for what is supposed to be something that's so great in in an associate, if it ends up cannibalising other associate nations just to be playing professional franchise cricket, then that's really a threat to to associate cricket. And, and you know you'd say, well, that's free market and that's saying you know players are being paid and good on them. But what does that say for the state of associate cricket if that's where the players are going to be?
1: Yeah, hopefully that's not what's going on, but uh, you know that's it seems like the most likely explanation from here. Um, but as as we said, the Americas qualifier, the regional final, is being held from the seventh to the fourteenth of November, starting on the Monday after this podcast is released, with Argentina, Bahamas, Belize, Bermuda, Canada, Panama, and the United States all competing for two slots in the global qualifiers.
0: Hello, I'm Norman Vanua, I play for PNG, I am a bowling all-rounder, and you're listening to the Imagine Cricket Podcast. <laughs> Excellent stuff from Nick and Tim, as always, here at the EC Pod. Just cleaning up the match that was played after the boys recorded this week's pod. New Zealand beating Scotland by 16 runs in their Super 12 fixture. Martin Guptill making 93 from 56 balls. The pick of the bowl is probably Safian Sharif and Mark Watt taking 2 for 28, and one for 13 off their four overs respectively. And then in reply, Scotland, well, the target was probably out of reach for most of it, 173 they needed. They ended up five down for 156. Michael Lee's top scoring with 42 not out of 20 balls. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. But for now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and the boys, Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler, enjoy the rest of your week, wherever you are around the Emerging Cricket world.